Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all here. So is this official Christmas Sunday or is next no, week official? Next. Okay, so I won't say Merry Christmas, but I have my Christmas tie. <laughs> Let's look at our announcements. I have all kind of paperwork up here. All right. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Revelation 22, verse 16. Choir, you're to meet tonight at 6.30 for the warm-up before the Christmas program. Six o'clock. We're going to change that to 6 o'clock. Half an hour is not enough time. You need more warming. Um, so that brings us to 3. The uh, program is at 7 o'clock. And uh, I'm going to bring finger foods for refreshments following. And uh, note, we'll have some guests. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7, Andrea's number. Days of praise and acts and facts are here for December. Make use of those. And you'll note the uh, next Sunday, December the 23rd, following the worship hour, we'll have a short break, and then the children will present a nativity play, which is about 15 minutes, and then there's no evening service. Uh, there will be a, a church white elephant gift and uh, service party on Friday, January the 18th. Uh, that's here at the church and details coming with that. All right, I've got a card here. This is from the Henrys. <clears throat> we are so grateful for your faithful prayer and financial support in 2018. We truly give thanks to God for each one of you. We do hope that you have a Merry Christmas and much blessing in 2019. Okay. All right, anything that I've missed, omitted? Offering envelopes on the choir table? Mm-hmm. Offering envelopes for 2019 are on the foyer table, so uh, make use of those. I know if you get... The same number you had last year, that makes it a little easier for everyone. Okay, our scripture for meditation this morning is taken from Revelation. Read the 22nd chapter.
Let's stand and ask the Lord to bless our service this morning. Ken, would you open for us today? Sure. Almighty God, we come before you uh, as we always do when we gather. We gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask your blessing on us as we do. We thank you for your providence this morning, your providence that leads and guides and protects us in our daily lives. In fact, it's your providence that has drawn each one of us here this morning. We thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. And Father, our desire this morning is that we worship you in spirit and in truth. We worship in spirit, with our mind, with our understanding, through faith. And we worship you in truth, the truth as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of your free and sovereign grace to us. The truth of your unconditional love to us. The truth that while we were yet sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. truth that he was crucified, buried, rose again, and it ascended on high at the right hand of the Father even now. He stands as our mediator, our advocate, our redeemer, our savior. He has satisfied the justice of Almighty God against us, and we thank you for that. Father, we ask you to continue blessings for this church. Keep your hand upon this church. By the spiritual needs, financial needs. Continue to bless and encourage Fred for the work in the ministry here. We just praise your name this morning, Father, and thank you for Christ. Until all of us here this morning know of someone who we can raise up to you in prayer for thanksgiving, for blessings received, for Perhaps we also know someone who we can raise up who is in desperate need of your intervention, Lord. Need of your miracle working power, Father. We pray your, your will will be done. We thank you and praise your name for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our desire to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him. Increase our love for him and not one for another. We ask and we pray in that precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Say amen. Amen. Take your red Trinity hymnal this morning and turn to number 338. 338 in the red.
a favorite hymn this morning. And, all right, I'm going to put a stipulation in. Naomi, is it a Christmas song? So that means no, it wasn't a Christmas song. Can we pick a Christmas song this morning? Some. I should have said I know, I didn't throw a curveball. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. All right, let's see. <coughs> probably in the brown. It's also probably in the red. It's also probably in the red. All right, I found it in the brown. Okay. Let's try the red. Red probably has better words. 133. 133. Let's see. Two oaths. Nope, that's wrong. No, yeah, it is. I'm looking in the red because the red has better words. It's 203 in the red. They might be exactly the same, but most of the time the red has better thoughts in it. Okay. Let's do 203 in the red.
scripture reading this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Please stand with us as we read. Reading from the NIV this morning. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted but what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May God have his blessing to this holy and inspired word.
please uh, join with the choir in standing and take your red hymnal again and turn to number 324. 324 in the red. <coughs> Our scripture text this morning is 2 Corinthians 12. Our last lesson dealt with the joy of renewal. I called it part one because today's going to be part two. That's the renewal of the earth promised by God at the second coming of Christ. We learn that all of creation awaits this because all of creation was cursed by God because of Adam's sin to make it difficult for man to eke out a living on earth 
where before in Eden everything was provided free. So the soil became blighted with thorns and thistles and other weeds that choked the good seed, reducing yields while increasing toil. Additionally, the animal kingdom became wild, hostile, dangerous to mankind. Disease, pestilence, fatigue, wasting diseases, and inflammation became part of the natural order, though there was nothing natural about it until sin spoiled the environment. While creation awaits the bodily redemption of God's people, because in that day God will make all things new by purging sin from the environment. This will be a renewal, not brand new, but new in character, not new in kind. God becomes a refiner's fire to purge and clean the earth of everything that pollutes. And we close by looking at the joy of, renew, of the renewed earth. Sin will be no more. And Eden, in a sense, is restored or reborn. The, birth, the earth becomes a paradise again. And then secondly, creation is restored to its pristine purity wherein dwells righteousness. Well, we've come today to the end of this series on joyful souls, and I want to talk to you about the joy of renewal. Again, this will be part two, the new heaven. And as we come, let's ask the Lord to be our teacher. Father, we thank you for this study. We've had a lot of contemplation of the joy of renewal, what you do and what you've promised all as a result of Christ and his atoning work, making all things new. Pray that you'll bless in today's message, grant us an understanding of what lies ahead, but also as a result of what we now possess in Christ. So we have the early shoots of it now, but the full harvest is yet to come. And since we experience the reality now, we have every anticipation that the promises for the future will take place as well. Bless those that are here today and those that couldn't be here. Bless them as well in Christ's name. We ask, amen. We're looking at the joy of renewal, part two today, and we're talking about the new heaven. The first thing I would say about the new heaven, it is beyond description, beyond description. In fact, I would say it this way, there is no personal description allowed, no personal description allowed. We start here because of all the people these days who are claiming to have died and gone to heaven and then they come back and write their book and schedule their TV talk show host appearances. They speak of meeting Jesus, of talking with him. They say they have 
seen their deceased loved ones. They claim that God has given them a message to bring back to us earthlings, etc., etc. Todd Burpo, a Nebraska pastor, wrote a book concerning his four-year-old, his toddler's claim to have gone to heaven and returned while on an operating table. The book is entitled Heaven is for Real, and it hit the New York bestsellers list in 2011. And by May 8th of that year, had sold over 4 million copies. In another case, a boy claimed to have seen John the Baptist, have visited with his relatives, and reported that people in heaven have wings and halos. I wonder where he got that idea. Still another a Mr. Don Piper, and I don't think he's related to our wonderful theologian, Mr. Piper, but he's written a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. His book was reviewed by Pastor Tim Challies of Grace Fellowship Church of Toronto. And here's what the reviewer said. Piper's heaven was a place of re- reunion with loved ones, place of beautiful music, a place of literal pearl or pearlescent gates, literal streets of gold. It is a heaven that can be so easily described to a human mind using mere human words, as if it had originated in a human mind. Piper is able to describe it in some detail But what he presents is surely far too human to be heaven. How so? The book makes no mention of God, no mention of Jesus Christ. It plays like an Oprah Winfrey interview, end quote. Gretchen Carlson, formerly of Fox News, interviewed Crystal McVie in April of 2013, a woman who wrote her book, Waking Up in Heaven, about her death during a surgical procedure, wherein she claims to have been dead for nine minutes. She awoke in heaven. She was sent back by God from heaven to tell us, quote, heaven is real and God loves you all. May I say that these kinds of accounts are readily available from many sources in the pop culture of our day, and especially in the pop Christian culture, where a little knowledge becomes a dangerous thing. Let me give you four cautions here. These books are on, sadly, they're on the shelves in any Christian bookstore. Four cautions. Number one, 
Beware of relying on children for your theological beliefs. You shouldn't even have to say that, right? But we need to say it. A four-year-old boy talking about people in heaven with wings that aren't angels and halos is a child who has been inculcated with teaching that finds no scriptural support. The halo part, where does that come from? That's worldly concept of heavenly beings. When children become our mentors, it is a sign of God's curse, not his blessing. Let me read it for you. I'm not inventing this. Isaiah writes, See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. All supplies of food, all supplies of water, the hero, the warrior, the judge, the prophet, the soothsayer, the elder, the captain of 50, and man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman, clever enchanters, and so on. I will make boys their officials, mere children will govern them. Isaiah 3, verses 1 through 4. What is he saying? Isaiah is saying all the wise, all the educated, all the adults, all the teachers, all the religious clerics, I'm removing, 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 and I'll give you boys to be your teacher. Does that sound like a blessing to you? Now that was a curse that Isaiah was pronouncing because Israel would not listen to God's prophets the men that he sent to teach them, the scribes and so on. So the first caution, beware of relying on children for your theological beliefs. Second, beware of exalting human experience as an authority equal to or above the scriptures. I wouldn't call these people liars who are making these reports and writing their books. They obviously experienced something, and that something affected their thinking. But not all that we experience should be given a godly explanation simply because we can't explain what happened. I mean, there are deceptive spirits out there, chief of whom is Satan himself, of whom the Bible says, let me read it for you, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. He dresses up, he comes across as an angel of light. Now, every one of these people claimed to have seen a bright light or a multitude of lights. And they always believe that this is God or Jesus or, or something they can't put a name to. People are more superstitious than they are Holy Spirit taught. 
Well, here's what John the Apostle says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Why shouldn't we? But test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Then he gives this test. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. At least one of these authors, Don Piper, in his book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, makes no mention of seeing God, no mention of Jesus during his heavenly excursion. How many times have you heard people protest, well, don't tell me I know what I saw, or I know what I heard. Well, that may be true, but then a spin is put on the experience which has nothing at all to do with what was seen or what was heard. Of the scriptures, Peter could say, above all, you must understand, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, his own spin. On what he saw or heard. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Well, those days are long gone because the Bible is complete and we have a final record of God has spoken. So beware of any time when people exalt human experience above the scriptures. Number three, beware of revelations which deny or add to the biblical record. John tells us that the canon of scripture is complete. And that being so, here's what he says. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, referring to the Bible, if anyone adds anything to those words... To them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. And in the holy city, which are described in this book. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19. So along with the authority of the Bible, which we accept as the alone word of God, we also believe in the sufficiency of the biblical teaching. All scripture, writes Paul, is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Notice what it says. Not partially equipped, but thoroughly equipped. What do you need? You need this book. What else do you need? You don't need anything else. We're not somewhat informed of God's will. We're fully informed. That is to say, we're fully informed of everything God wants us to know. Now, if you move beyond that and say, well, I would like to know. And we get into speculation and wishes and dreams. And I think heaven must be like... No one cares what you think. No one cares what I think. We ought to care what God thinks. And we ought to care what God says and not go beyond that. That's where we get into trouble. Do we really need someone coming back from heaven to tell us heaven is real? Hasn't that subject been fully covered in the teachings of Christ? And in his apostles. Number four. Beware of the storytellers. It's said. Everyone likes to hear a good story. But you need to be aware that. If so. We need to maintain. The distinction between fiction. And reality. How many people there are who are ready to dismiss the opening chapters of the Bible which deal with creation and Adam and Eve and the Genesis flood and they want to treat those as fables when we have corroborative evidence from the teachings of Christ himself on all of those subjects. But those same people will gullibly ingest any tale of the supernatural. Just because the storyteller is a contemporary and he can speak with some kind of moving sincerity. Peter warned his audience about teachers like that. He did. Let me read it for you. He says, in their greed, listen now. In their greed, they will exploit you with stories they have made up. What? Oh, no, no. They wouldn't do that. Would they do that? Peter says, yeah, they would do that because of greed. He goes on. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. 2 Peter 2, verse 3. Do you know that millions of copies of one's book on the bestseller list could be ample incentive to write such a book? I'll let the motive to the author, but you and I do not have to buy into the premise that's being proposed. Just because somebody 
writes a book that says they went to heaven, came back, and God sent them back to tell you what heaven is like, my antenna would go up real quick on something like that. Beep, 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 beep. God sent them back to tell tell me what heaven is like? You mean we don't have anything in the scripture to tell us that already? Do you all remember God's prohibition to Paul? It's worth considering. Paul. Paul refers to his experience of being caught up to paradise, verse 4 of our text, where he heard, listen to this, inexpressible things. Inexpressible things. Not at all meaning that he could not describe what he saw. He's not saying that. But as he goes on to say, inexpressible things that man, that would be any man, any woman, any child, is not permitted to tell. Paul says, I saw things, and I can't tell you. And what is more, no man can tell you. No person can tell you. They are inexpressible. God not going to allow me to tell. The Apostle Paul, who admits that he had been the recipient of these surpassing great revelations from God about heaven, verse 7 of our text, had a gag order placed on him by God himself, the Apostle Paul. But the average Christian contemporary of our day, and some who profess no knowledge of God are peddling their books and becoming blabberskites of all the fantastical insights they allegedly experienced when they went to heaven. God wouldn't permit Paul to write anything down about it. But all these other people, yeah, they can, they, they can say, they can write a books about it. This is utterly unreasonable and it belittles both the man Paul and his office as an apostle. An apostle is one sent by God. They didn't choose that office for themselves. Now the question comes, what is the difference between these heavenly experiences alleged to have occurred with these contemporary writers of our day, and let's say the visions of heaven which we find in the scriptures. Well, we know that a number of the people in the Bible had visions of heaven. They did. For example, when Stephen was being stoned to death, by the Jewish Sanhedrin for daring to accuse them of crucifying the Lord of glory, which was the gospel truth, Luke records for us Stephen's words. Here's his words. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. I'm reading scripture. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Acts 7 verse 54. And that was just way too much for the Sanhedrin. They jumped on him and drug him out of the city and stoned him to death. Here's Daniel's account. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white, like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Daniel 7, verse 9 and following. We also have Paul's account in our text. And then we have John's tremendous vision which comprises the entire book that we know of in our Bible as the Revelation. Chapters upon chapters of his vision. Okay, but what distinguishes all these accounts from the reports, the books that the people are writing today? Well, let me suggest four things. Number one, all the people in these biblical narratives are alive and well and living in the world when they saw these things. They were, these were, visions, not an alleged actual physical presence with God in the physical reality of heaven. They say they are visions. That's number one. Number two, the visions they saw were not of their own making. For prophecy, writes Peter, never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1 verse 21. They were believers indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Not I'm going to say it, not pagans on the street writing a book that never darkened the door of a church anywhere in their life. But they're writing about, quote unquote, spiritual things. Number three, in some cases they did not know or even pretend to know what they had seen or what they heard. Let me read it for you. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. First Peter 1, verse 10 and 11. What is Peter saying? 
He's saying the prophets prophesied things about Christ's coming, his death and burial and resurrection, and they were scratching their head because they were trying to figure out, what does this mean? So even when they received a revelation from God, they were very hesitant to explain what it meant. They were probably more ready to say, we don't know what it means. We've never heard this before. What is this? That's a humble spirit. And number four, the visions they saw often added, added new understanding heretofore not known concerning things eternal. And thus the new understandings became a part of the sacred scriptures which we have in our Bible. So there wasn't any redundancy. There was no telling of truths already clearly spelled out in the Bible. It's like when someone says, heaven is real. Hello. The Bible has always addressed heaven as being real. Nothing new about that. I saw Jesus in heaven. Well, yeah, okay. I saw God in heaven. Yeah, nothing new about that. But there's going to be a renewed heaven. Everything sinful in us is purged away. Last week we read from Malachi that God is a refiner's fire and that one of his disciplinary tasks is to refine his people. What I discovered in my studies is that the refining process is never said, listen to me, it's never said of the wicked. And it's never said of the unbeliever that God is going to refine them. It only applies to believers. Psalmist put it this way. Praise our God, O people. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire. We went through water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. Psalm 66, verse 8 through 14. God refines his people. In Isaiah we read, I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all of your impurities. I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. But 
Rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. Isaiah 1, verse 25 and following. Jeremiah words it this way, O my people, put on sackcloth, roll in the ashes, mourn with bitter wailing as for an only son, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. I have made you a tester of metals, and my people are the ore that you may observe and test their ways. They are all hardened rebels going about to slander. They are bronze and iron. They all act corruptly. The bellows blow fiercely to burn away the lead with fire. But the refining goes on in vain. The wicked are not purged out. They are called rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. Jeremiah 6, verse 26 and following. No recovery for the wicked. And by the way, no recovery in the fires of purgatory as Rome declares will happen. Daniel's ministry ended with these words from God to him. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Daniel 12, verse 10. God brings about the final discipline and correction needed to prepare us for glory. And that correction involves purging us from all of our latent sin and disobedience. It's called progressive sanctification. And it will end in glorification, which is the final sanctification. This has ever been the intent of Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church. Boy, that's a statement in itself, isn't it? Just, just that thought. Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself. A radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Peter words it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 7. John takes us in the Revelation to the portals of heaven. And here's what he says in Revelation 21, verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Wow. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We don't go to heaven and then get purified. You better be purified before you get there. And the blood of Christ does that. Well, what happens to the wicked? What happens to the disobedient? Well, God says, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. So you see, there's no refining. There's no reformation for the unbelieving. The day of salvation has passed them by. But of the believer, he says, let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are they who wash their robes, that they have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city, outside of the city, you see, are the dogs, those who practice the magic arts, the occult, you see, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood, all liars. Revelation 22 they're on the outside. They're on the outside. They don't even make it through the gate. Jesus will have his radiant church without stain of sin. Eternal love will have its predestinated end. Paul writes in Romans, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus has a lot of brothers. It's you and me. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified, or will glorify. Romans 8, verse 28 and following. That's the time when holiness will be complete. John puts it this way. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the bride. I will show you the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
And it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Revelation 21, 9 and following. Why is it clear as crystal? Why is it called the holy city? It's because everything sinful in us is purged away. That's why. And then secondly, everything sinful in the world is banished. It's barred or it's otherwise eradicated. For example, Satan and his demons are banished to the lake of fire. We read, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beasts and the false prophets had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10. What's that? That's the end of the tempter, the accuser of the brethren. That's his end. There is an end for him. Of all unbelievers, of all skeptics, mockers, evildoers, the self-righteous, the unrepentant. What do we read about them? Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The dead standing? Yeah, that's because... Death is not annihilation. Death is not nothingness, as the world believes. I saw him standing there, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and the earth. Each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20. Do you know that hell has a hell? Hell has a hell. It's called the lake of fire, where hell is going to be cast. So I thought hell was the worst that could be. No, it's not. The lake of fire is the worst it can be. So you see what God is doing here. He is eradicating all that is evil. All that tempts, all that pulls people away from holiness of life and obedience to God. And he is establishing his kingdom on righteous turf alone called the new heaven. The hallowed ground will be righteous. The occupants holy as God is holy. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests. Wow. To serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 5 verse 9 and following. 
New heaven, new earth, only God's people go there. And number three, everything associated with sin will be, will be gone. Hallelujah. I'll be glad for that day. Jared was talking about that in the adult class this morning. The grief that sin brings into our lives. It says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. By implication, everything in the middle, you see. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. Are you spiritually thirsty this morning? Is your soul parched? Do you really like the pain, the sorrow, the tears that your sin brings into your life and into the lives of those you love? No? Really? Then why have you no room for Christ why haven't you taken him up on his promise which is this the spirit and the bride say come come let him who hears say come whoever's thirsty let him come whoever wishes let him take the free gift of the water of life Revelation 22, verse 17. It's free, it's free, it's free. Come, come, take. Jesus himself is that water. To the woman at the well, steeped in immorality and in her sin, he said, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, Welling up to eternal life. John 4 verse 14. Jesus and the forgiveness of sins is the only water that will quench your thirst for peace and rest. Isn't it interesting? The world searches for peace, peace, peace. The Bible says, yeah, they seek for peace when there's no peace. And they seek for peace where there is no peace to be found. In money, prestige, honor, power. I want peace, I want peace, I want peace. Yeah, the kind of peace they're seeking is P-I-E-C-E. I want a piece of the action. And they think that'll bring them P-E-A-C-E. Been proven time and time again what Jesus said 
What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but is not rich towards God? Have you really won? Have you really gained? Jesus and the forgiveness of sins is the only water that will quench your thirst for peace and rest. He wants you to know this. This is why he, he closes the canon of scripture with this gracious invitation. It's in the Revelation. Whoever wishes, whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. What a magnanimous invitation. Are you thirsty? Come. Well, who can come? Well, whoever wishes, they can come. Say, well, don't I have to be a, a morally upright person? No, he'll make you morally upright. Don't I have to know somebody? Have somebody pray for me? What about the saints? Maybe they need to pray. No. I know. I can't have to pray to Mary, don't I? No. There's only one Savior, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says it this way. Whoever wishes, let him come and take the free gift of the water of life. Don't I have to pay? No. Isaiah says, come, buy without money. Buy without price. Wow. There's no Savior like this. There's no religion like this in the world. All the religions of the world have people doing things to earn, 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 earn their salvation, which they'll never earn. There's not enough good in them, not enough good deeds to do, not enough merit in the deeds. Only in the blood of Christ is their salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for our study on joyful souls. There is joy in Christ. Joy in loving Jesus. Joy in knowing him. And that's the only thing where joy can be found. Sometimes there's happiness in the world. There's happiness in position and money and prestige and all of those things but joy runs deeper than happiness joy goes down into the soul and people can be joyful in bad circumstances because they know Christ I pray for each one of us today we might find that joy that you might grant us that joy in Christ draw us out of our work our work our work our work our work trying to become happy, trying to become joyful. Lord, grant us your peace and your joy on the merit of Jesus and what he's done for us. We ask this for your glory and our good. Amen. Our closing hymn from the Red Hymnal, number 320. We'll stand as we sing.
anticipating that day. I hope you're anticipating that day. This world has nothing to offer us of any kind of stability or lasting peace or joy. Amen. This world is not my home. We sing the little chorus. I'm just passing through. My home is what? Made somewhere up above the blue and in Christ. All right. Tonight is our um, Christmas cantata. That's at 7 o'clock. However, the choir needs to be here at 6 o'clock. And we're asking you to bring finger foods of a non-cooking device. Small sandwiches or cookies, something like that, because we will already have eaten supper, I suppose, by the time we get here at 7. But we want to have something for our guests that are coming. and So 7 o'clock for the congregation at large, 6 o'clock for the choir, and we are dismissed. Thanks.